Standing up in McKinney, this is According to Callus. And today, I have a special treat for you, an hour and a half uncut, <laughs> pretty much uncensored, not that we really need censors, uh, discussion with uh, two of my favorite people in Callan County who honestly are standing up with me for you pretty much every day. So feel free to give us a join. Uh, we'll be kicking over to that audio here in just a second. Thanks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you can hear me. This is According to Callus, and I have two special guests with me. And uh, we are going to have a free-for-all Friday. Uh, with me is Mr. Uh, Chad Green and Mr. Kyle Sims, two of the Mayor of McKinney's favorite people. <laughs> So, okay, so we're going to, they, they have no idea what we're going to talk about. It's going to be open mic and kind of whatever happens, happens. But I have five warm-up questions for them. So question number one, would you find your life much better and more relaxing if we had mm, darn near anybody else as mayor of McKinney? <laughs> Yes, no, whatever floats your boat, guys. Come on. Absolutely, it would be a lot better and a lot more relaxed. We spend more time on Mayor Fuller of McKinney than we do on almost any other subject. It'd sure be nice to have somebody that was actually honorable sitting in the mayor's office. (laughs) He's just, Fuller is like a mayor for the people that agree with him and the people that disagree with him, he's not their mayor. That's absolutely true. Uh, so, you know, one of the talking points of our uh, Democrat friends is that they are there for all the people. And I see the exact opposite. You know, it's a, kind of the classic case of projection, right? I'm going to put upon you what we ourselves are guilty of. So I, I, I got to say, I do appreciate that about uh, the politics local here. All right. Question number two. So. In my perfect world, and I've said this many times publicly, we would not have a need for government schools, but we have government schools, so I've I've softened just a little bit on this. So the question is, if you were to design an educational system, would you support having government-funded schools? Yes, no, and why? Well, first off, uh, government-funded schools are in the Texas Constitution. I realize they're not in the U.S. Constitution, but they are powers that the state has under the Texas Constitution. So it's kind of hard to get around get around that one. Um, <clears throat> I'm actually for public schools when they're run well. Um, the problem is when you get a government entity that will not tell the public the truth, tries to hide everything that they're doing, and uh, they're not focused on what they should be focused on, which is uh, getting the kids into a successful career path, math, reading, language, arts, science, social studies, that type of stuff, and really focusing in on that stuff, then you've got a government institution that's more interested in indoctrination than they are any child's success. Uh, That's a problem. That's a huge problem. I agree with that. I, I think, unfortunately, we're going to always have government schools, but when the federal dollars get tied to those schools and we have, you know, four left liberals like we have in McKinney running that school system, 
that's where we get into issues because we have no honesty and we have no accountability. Okay, next question. <laughs> so it's been talked about, and, and you guys are far more active in the uh, school district stuff here around McKinney than I am. And Kyle, I think you're all over the state at this point, but they talk about the percentage of people graduating and, and they hold it up as if this is the gold standard. And as a person that's, let's say, less than enamored with government education, I look at it and I say, well, what good does it do to give somebody a diploma that's actual education level is at eighth grade? So do you agree that that's a fair analysis of what's going on? And then secondarily, what do you think we could do differently to correct that? Yeah, that's incredibly fair. In fact, I think the, uh, uh, yeah, that's incredibly fair. In fact, I think that the um, grading system after COVID is really a problem. I think most of our districts that are A districts are probably really B districts. And I think our districts that are B districts may be C and D districts pre-COVID. And um, I mean, when you when you drill down into the statistics and you look and you see only 30 percent of your or 34, 35 percent of your kids are on grade level in math and on grade level in reading. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. And right now, as a community in McKinney, parents, teachers, whatever, should be banding together to tackle this problem, figure out ways to um quickly increase the proficiency of our kids um dropout rate doesn't mean anything if they can't read that it's a false dropout rate you know your your diploma is false it's they haven't accomplished anything so um, we really need to address these things and it's not just a mckinney problem it's a district problem all over the state of texas i agree and you know what the school system has turned into from when we were in school is they base everything off a standardized test and their enrollment depends on how much money they get. Uh, I can tell you my wife is a substitute teacher in a local district and she has kids every day that want to sit and play games on their iPad every day. And while she does what she can uh, to curtail that the fact is these students are still being passed although they don't know something I think that's a huge issue and I can see that this has had a tremendous impact on the knowledge of students I mean look everything's technology based now kids can't even write their name anymore on a piece of paper so I think that's a very very huge issue alright last of the warm up questions here gentlemen do you think that there is a diminishing return on the amount of money spent per student? So, for example, the city of Chicago spends roughly $25,000 per student. The city of McKinney, from last I heard, is about $12,000 per student. If I get that wrong, Chad, you know better. But I would imagine that our results, even as depressed as what they are at the moment, and just compared to previous years, I would suggest we do a whole lot better than Chicago does. So at, at what point do you think, or what kind of dollar amount would you see as an appropriate amount on average per student based upon 
your experience from talking to other people around the state. And if Kyle, if you got anything to add to this, please chime in. Well, I, I hate to say it, but I don't think this is a finance issue. I think this is a environment in the school issue. Uh, if it was a finance issue, then why do some charter schools do better than the public schools they're, they're actually in the boundaries of? Um, and, and charter schools have about half the money that, that your public ISD does. Um, so there, there's something to establishing an educational environment um, that we really need to start addressing. And I don't put this all on the ISD. I think a lot of it is on the ISD. But I think also our legislature has, has tied the hands of discipline in, in our school districts. And, and they need to be able to discipline uh, the kids appropriately. At the same time, we also tie our own hands. You know, there's the story of we had a, a, an officer that caught two kids um, <clears throat> having relations in a stairwell at a at, at a high school and so the officer did the right thing and wanted to uh, press indecency charges against the students but the school district didn't want them to do that and so moved them to elementary schools well you're you're saying it's okay to do that now when you make those type of decisions so i mean we really need to reassess what we're allowing wait to wait wait I, i'm sorry i gotta interrupt here yeah just for clarification this was in an elementary school where these two kids were No, getting this was in a high school. But they were getting moved to different high schools then rather than different elementary schools? No. The officer got moved to an elementary oh. school <laughs> okay. so because he wanted to press charges against the students, which was right. Okay. So I'm saying that it was an administrative decision that over uh, came over the decision-making ability of the officer. And that really wasn't right that that happened. So, so we punish we punish the police rather than the students. Correct. Okay. And we've got great officers in McKinney, so you know, it's it, we 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 are responsible for the environment we have, and we need to we need to change it quickly. One thing I'll add is is this is why I, when I mentioned the word accountability a while ago, it seems we have no accountability in schools anymore, especially accountability of the students. When these students get out of line, there's no recourse for these students except maybe lunch detention or uh, in-school suspension. What does that teach these kids? It teaches them nothing. So that's why we need stronger accountability in all the schools across Texas. Yeah. Can I say something? Go ahead. Yeah. And so I had several officers this last tell me it's a three-day break when you give them a suspension. That's That's... And, and so the officers were really talking about we need to be focused on changing that environment to where the punishment is something that kids don't want to do. And, you know, I, I haven't seen a model for this, but, man, I'd like to see some type of boot camp start up where they're, you know, they're reporting to uh, a former uh, um, Marine or a former Army guy and, you know, they're walking through all their studies. Uh, I think that's really, and I think that's really kind of what we need to start doing with DAEP, at least in the middle school and high school areas, so that the discipline is coming in and changing the way the kids are approaching their educational status. Can you translate that acronym, please? Which one? E-A-E-P? D-A-E-P? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> you can't. It's, it's the disciplinary campus for the school district every school district has a daep and so if you get if they if the kids get in trouble um say they bring some type of contraband uh to school or 
they're drinking. Uh, it's in, an alternative school. Yeah, it's an, al- it's an alternative school. Then, then they may get sent to DAEP for a month or two months. And the, the learning there is questionable because a teacher may have 25, 30 kids that they're teaching that may range from grade 12 all the way to fifth grade or so on. And so it's, it's too much for one teacher to be able to handle across, across those levels. And what generally they do is they sit you down on a computer where, and we saw how well this worked during COVID, where they're learning from a computer program. Mm-hmm. And that just doesn't work very well, especially when, you know, discipline needs to happen. And so um, I, I'm really for trying to look into some different models. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I only had five questions opened up, but now I've got two or three follow-ups, so if you all bear with me here. So at what point can we turn this back on parents to a degree that I know there's plenty of good teachers out there, and if a teacher actually grades accurately, little Johnny or little Mary, and they don't get an A, rather than the parent talking to their kid, uh, what's the problem here? How come you got such a low grade? They go and beat up the teacher or they go verbally assault the teacher for failing little Johnny or little Mary. At what point do we not push back and tell the parent objectively your child doesn't know the subject matter? Is that is that a role the district can fill in by backing up those individual teachers? Well, that's, that's, that's a role really the school board should fill in, um, but choose, chooses not to, generally speaking. Um, part of the discipline problem that we're having in schools and the low performance is setting expectations. And parents need to set those expectations with the teacher. And then if the child is misbehaving in the classroom and your teacher says that they're doing it, you need to really consider that. And what are you going to do at home to change that behavior for your child? Um, my wife's a teacher. Last year she was completely terrorized by one student and the uh, school had to go through a process in order to deal with that student. Um, and it took about three times of going to the principal's office. And then, you know, one day the student got really angry and tore up the principal's office. And, you know, that was it. Um, you know, we shouldn't, that situation doesn't happen if parents are active in disciplining the student at home. Um, you know, you do it respectfully, but boy, you have to lay down the law so that they behave in public. No, I agree. And, you know, from what I've, and I worked for the school system for 32 years, and what I've seen evolve since I've been retired is not only do the, some of the staff doesn't have accountability and the admin doesn't have accountability, we're not giving accountability to the parents or the students. And I can tell you, my wife is a sub. There'll be kids that sit in her class all day long, although she has a lesson plan to give them, they refuse to do it. So as a substitute teacher, she can recommend what needs to happen. Ultimately it's up to the teacher. And unfortunately, most of the stories she's told me is the teachers do nothing. And I'm not saying all teachers are bad, but we're we are rewarding students with no punishment to do wrong. That's what we're doing. And we just have to have more accountability 
and more structure all the way around your schools right now. Yeah, and I'd like to say this this isn't a, necessarily a teacher issue. Mm-mm. I think it's really an admin issue that the administration is not supporting the teachers in the right way on discipline issues. And, uh, and well, they get money for that student regardless, right? So why why does there need to be accountability if they get that money as long as they're present, right? Well, I, I don't know about you guys, but I had a rather checkered time when I was in school, and I can tell you that. I was on a first-name basis with my elementary school principal. I got to call him Mr. And I spent a whole lot of time in his office because the teacher wisely wouldn't put up with my antics. Now, whether or not that worked, because I also got to be on nearly a first-name basis with my middle school principal, and I saw my high school principal quite often, it eventually got through my thick skull that you have to actually control yourself in a classroom. And it seems like today... There's very little interest in doing that, and there, if you're not going to back up your teachers and give them a recourse that allows them to control their classrooms, it seems to me that all the students lose out on that. Not just the one student mm-hmm. that is a problem, or let's say is a distraction, but every other student in that class, and potentially that entire grade gets affected by that one student's lack of control. and. My, my issue personally was I was the student that was done with my work in five minutes and I had to sit still for 30 minutes after that. And if you, you guys both know me, so you know that's a challenge even now as an old guy. But could you imagine me at eight years old trying to sit still for 30 minutes? Yeah, there, there, I wouldn't have any of that. So it wasn't that I was cursing at the teacher or throwing stuff at the teacher. It's just I didn't sit still. And back in the 80s, they didn't tolerate that. They'd bounce you over to the principal's office. Now, I mean... I shudder to think what you can get away with as a student and have zero recourse on you. So I, you know, look, I, I've talked about this on my podcast. About 10 years ago, I looked into going into education, or actually it was more. It was 15 years ago, I looked into going into education. I went back to school. I went through an alternative certifica- certification program that could have been rolled into a master's degree. I got done, and I found out some of the other details, and I, I pursued it for about a year, but one thing that I kept hearing is, why? You know, why do you want to do this? And I thought, well, you know, hey, I was that troubled student. You know, the 80s version, if you will. Perhaps I have something to offer. And now knowing what I know now, there's very little reason why I would want to do that. So, I mean, the administration could come in and fix the situation. What would be some things, common sense solutions that we could offer since... You know, you're on the board, but you're one of seven votes. And let's face it, they don't listen to a word you have to say anyway. So, True. <laughs> so what would, what would be some common sense solutions that could be offered to the school district? Well, I mean, I think, I think the first one that I would like to see them address is really pulling the parents together and developing a curriculum that works with the parents so that the parents are coaching their kids at home. Uh, just as the teachers are coaching their kids at school. Um, I think that's really very needed, especially seeing where we are with reading and math. Um, we, need to be, we need to be doing that. Uh, the second is, is some curriculum having to do with how you can support your teacher with discipline um, and be able to hand that off to the parents as well. Um, in the end, the 
solution that I see is probably going to have the boat the, the largest impact is actually having chaplains actually on school property and school grounds uh, working with the kids working with the teachers um, counseling both the teachers and the students and kind of being a go a go between between uh, the teachers and the administration <coughs> so um, you know I think there's seven several ways to look at it that's just some of the ways that I think need to be addressed and and dealt with right now okay well here in just a second we're gonna we're gonna take about a two-minute break on my side and uh, we're gonna come back and we're gonna pivot to some other issues all right, uh, to you, my three listeners out there, we're back. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're going to do an abrupt pivot here. Uh, for those of you that have been following the national news, which I generally don't, apparently the uh, 42 or whatever restriction on the border is going to be ending very soon, and they're anticipating a massive influx of, let's call them, unwelcomed or uninvited guests will be uh, joining us here in particularly in Texas, but entire country. And uh, that leads to the issue of border security and really protecting Texas. So now I know you, Kyle, you've been down at the border several times. And again, Chad's all over the place too, hanging out in El Paso from time to time. Uh, myself, I haven't gone any further <laughs> west than Abilene. So why don't you guys fill me in? What, what do you think is likely to happen is there anything that Abbott could or should do? I mean, we've already talked about the Texas Constitution guaranteeing uh, government education. So are there anything that we could do without having to wait on the feds? Go ahead, whoever would like to start. Well, I think there's plenty to do if we had a, if we had a Texas legislature's uh, body and a governor that had his spine. What people have to understand is the last time I was at that border... I saw so many illegals come across that river, and they can get across that river in less than three minutes. And the last bunch I saw come across, there was twenty-two. There was twenty-four men, one female and one child. That child was with the males. It wasn't. She wasn't with the females. So people have to understand that what we're getting into in Texas, and especially in Collin County where we are. We have become a hub for sex trafficking. There's over 101 brothels just in Plano, Texas, from the information I've been getting. So I think what's going to happen is our system is eventually going to, I mean, I don't want to say crash, but I think it's going to crash because it's not only impacting the school system, it's impacting the economic system to where at some point it's not going to be sustainable. I mean, there's millions of people coming into this country, uh, especially in the last two years. So, you not only talk about an influx of people coming across, your crime goes up, your homelessness goes up, your employment rates go nuts. So, this is not going to be a good thing for Texas. No, I actually agree. And my main concern, my main concern with everything is happening is it seems to be driven um the influx uh we get different waves of this so whoever's funding this type of thing um i don't care for at all but then once they get here what do you do with the coyotes that are bringing them over 
you know, um, and it's not just the sex trafficking from over the border. It's the sex trafficking going on with our own kids here that makes them vulnerable to be being picked up and taken somewhere else by the same group of people that are, you know, bringing these people over the border. So it's really a very dangerous thing, in my opinion. I, I'm kind of speaking as a chaplain, but, you know, the issues that are going on with our school districts, these are the issues we're dealing with. It's protecting our daughters. It's protecting our sons from, from this type of, uh, of sexualization to prepare them, um, you know, to look at this stuff. Even our own sheriff here in Collin County, uh, when they investigated and looked at the books, he said, man, this is... This is uh, um, uh, prepping, prepping kids um, uh, to be sex trafficked. So, um, <clears throat> you know, we need to address it, and, yeah. and and it needs to be addressed with with finality as well. Okay, just so we're clear, none of you guys are under oath. So, you know, if you should get a statement wrong or n don't have an exact correct number, you don't have to worry about perjury. Okay, just so we're clear on that. I, I know that's a very important thing right now. God forbid you misspeak. All right, so I guess at this point, uh, if one of you would like to take lead on the next series of questions, now that I've kind of abused my situation when I go deal with the dog. Okay, what's... So... Um, Regarding the perjury re remark, I, that's our wonderful Mayor Fuller uh, throwing out a bunch of lies because he can't ad actually address the truth. Um, I went and testified for HB 900 to talk to the legislature about ending these uh, pervasive books and behavior that's going on in our school districts. And to my great delight, many of the congressmen there had books in their hands. Um, one of those was the Perks of Being a Wallflower, which has been through McKinney ISD several times and is approved to be on the shelf. So, you know, the, unfortunately, and I wish I didn't really have to say this, but unfortunately the days of, of uh, really respecting educators at a high level, not all educators are the same anymore. And just because they have an administrative title doesn't really mean anything. Um, because you read some of these books, it sh there shouldn't even be a question of why they shouldn't be available to a minor. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, so, you know, those are the type of things that we're dealing with right now. And that's, you know, <clears throat> I think probably Fuller is, is, is trying to say that these things didn't exist. But the simple fact is the drag queen reading hour video did exist. It was on McKinney servers. Um, it was even admitted to by the gentleman in charge of our PR. So in Dallas Express actually printed the article. So um, it's interesting that they have to continue trying to convince people that it was a lie. So you brought up the F word. Shame on you. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could say the New Jersey mouth. How is that? Is okay. that a better term? Well, it is, this is what we're dealing with in McKinney, Texas, unfortunately, is a rogue, narcissistic mayor that wants everybody to agree with him, no matter what he says. And a few of us have decided to push back with the facts and 
we go toe to toe with this guy every day on social media to the point to where he calls us liars and bigots and homophobes and he he told me today that I was the cancer of McKinney, which I thought was pretty hilarious considering that I'm one of the few people that do stand up to him. And it's not because I want a battle. I could be doing things in my life that are much more pleasurable right now. But I do have six grandkids that I stand up for. And for somebody to be in such denial as he is really disturbs many of us on the direction that our city is going. Well, I, I'm going to spare my listeners because I've been beating up on that guy for quite a while. <laughs> so let, let's let's pivot out of here, gentlemen, if you'll allow me. Um, so we've talked a little bit about the border. We've talked about the fact that it really is so much bigger than just having a line in the sand. And it has less to do with the people that are coming and more to do with the people that are bringing them and some of the things that are going on once they're across the border. So as we look at Texas and the future of Texas, what do you think would be a way that we could easily and legally implement some solutions, right? Common sense, basic solutions to uh, make them less likely to come to Texas. I mean, we can't control what Arizona, New Mexico, and California do, but what could we do in Texas to make it less inviting, if you will? Well, number one, I think what we need to do, not the national e-verify program, I think we need a state-based driven e-verify, number one. Number two, if you come into this country, you need to be like the rest of us. You need to earn your way in. And I think a lot of these, and I'm not saying everybody that comes across that border is bad, but the problem is we don't know who's coming across the border. We don't know where they're from. And I and I can tell you, I've seen myself in Del Rio, people on buses and, and jumping on airplanes going through TEA without any identification on them whatsoever. So we have to understand that I use this word a lot, but it's accountability. We we don't know where these people are coming from. When they get on the bus, we don't know where they're going. We don't know if they've got a record. We don't know if they've done some horrific act to a kid, to a child. We don't know anything about them. So I think we have to have some accountability and verification of, number one, where they're coming from, number two, where they're going, and we have to figure out a way to track those people to make sure that they are going to be law-abiding citizens. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And the accountability, the accountability lies with our governor, lieutenant governor, and our legislature. And um, I would really encourage them. It's time for you to start acting in the powers that, that Texas was originally founded with and start pushing back whether or not the federal government is going to do anything or not. It's they've been quite obvious that they are not going to protect the citizens of the state, state of Texas. And we've had several murders from uh, people coming across the, the border. We've got child trafficking. Um, this You need to address this. And so I would just really encourage that they stand up and address it with building their own fence, with uh, manning their fence, with, uh, you know, 
troopers or Texas uh, Texas National Guard. Um, I believe they report directly to our governor. So let's let's assign them some work to do. And I, I had this conversation yesterday with somebody, Stephen, that they said, okay, because this was on a local talk show yesterday. And a guy called in and says, he says, well, what can Abbott do? And somebody said, well, why didn't they use the state guard? And then the, the talk show host come back and says, well, so you're wanting a war between the federal government and the state state government, basically what you're saying. Well, listen, folks, unless you have been to the border, you don't understand the magnitude of how big this problem is. You haven't seen the the people crossing the, the Rio Grande. You haven't seen all the trash and the clothes and the and everything they leave behind. So unless you've been down there, you don't understand the full impact that's having on Texas. But yeah, maybe it comes to that someday. Who knows? But, and I know, Steve, you talked about this before, but in our in our Texas Senate, Texas House, the Republicans have the majority in both chambers. But yet we're still sitting here spinning our wheels with a Republican governor and a Republican lieutenant governor about what to do about the border. Do we not have anybody in charge in leadership that has any courage anymore? I think that's where our big issue is. They have no courage. Okay, well, <clears throat> I, I, I want to jump in here for a second. So it's no secret that I'm an advocate for Texas, right? Texas independence. But short of that, right? But let, let's not even go there. Short of that, we do supposedly live in a federal system, which is to say that each state has a certain amount of retained sovereignty and they can do certain things that they deem necessary to protect themselves. And the federal government's really only supposed to, or the national government, if you prefer, is really only supposed to be involved in international trade and national defense. Well, if they're not doing their job, which is clearly the case here, that falls upon us in the state of Texas to do that. Now, the concern is, well, if we put our own troops, and I'm putting the scare quotes up, folks, right? There are troops down on the border that we're going to incite a war with the federal government? Well, first of all, I don't think there's anybody at the national level that wants to pick a fight with Texas. But setting that aside, we don't even need to, need to use troops. We don't even need to use the Texas State Guard, which, by the way, the Texas State Guard only answers to the governor. They're not able to be federalized. Unfortunately for us, they're most, mo, mostly ceremonial. In other words, they do some search and rescue stuff. But the main focus beyond search and rescue is ceremonial and purpose. However, there is nothing to preclude the probably million, oh wait, I'm, I don't want to perjure myself, near million people that live here that are former military that would probably be, uh, let's not say excited, but highly motivated to protect their home state from all enemies, foreign and domestic, and they might be more than willing to go train up and go spend some time down on that border. And all that would need to happen is the governor has a call with the local sheriff and says, hey, we're, we're going to train up a cadre to come back up you and your deputies. They'll spend 30 you know, days down there at a time and we'll cycle them out with the next fresh group of people every time we get another group trained up. It would seem to me that that would be the basis of a civil defense force, which would be highly appropriate and certainly within the scope of the powers of the governor, yet they don't want to do it. Hey, but don't worry. They're going to 
give you a $2 tax break on your um, <clears throat> property taxes. And, oh, by the way, they're going to pet your head and say we've had the most conservative session ever again. But meanwhile, the entire border is being flooded by people that don't share our values. They don't share uh, Texas's con um, concern or future in mind. It, they don't care about any of that. So, I mean, what do you think about that? I think that's where we need to go. I absolutely agree that's where we need to go. But, I, I, you know, I, I just wonder if it's going to get to a point where it gets so bad that there's a place where there's no turnaround spot at the end of the road. And that's where I'm afraid we're headed. You know, tempers are getting very heated from the people I talk on the, to on the border that I've come to meet over the last five years. These ranchers, they can't even live on their own property safe anymore. And a lot of them have had to move their families to a different location just for the safety. That's where we are. And it's not getting better. It's just getting worse. So it's not entirely dissimilar to what happened in Rhodesia. Hmm. And well, I, I wouldn't know. Well, I some of you guys pull out these big words like Rhodesia. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Well, for those of you that don't know, Rhodesia was the name of the country that is now called Zimbabwe uh -huh. in Africa. And whether you like the government that they had there or not, and I'm not a fan, they had a white minority government that ran things and they owned ranches and they produced food and they actually fed their population and let's just say I'm rather uncomfortable with how they did a lot of things but they were a somewhat productive country and what happened is they gave up control of their government for various reasons and there was a reverse genocide which we're not allowed to talk about but eventually they hunted down these people that lived on these ranches because they didn't have a network they didn't have a army if you will to protect them any longer I guess most of those people went over into South Africa and stayed there for as long as that was functional so but they ate away at them and you know cornered them and destroyed them and if you look at what's going on in Zimbabwe right now if you're willing to look past the very uncomfortable things that happened are those people on the whole better off now or were they better off back in I don't know 1971 I don't live there. I don't know. But I think it's a very valid question at this point. Is this really what the outcome was? And if we do this or we do see the same thing play out in Texas, where essentially we've got the cartels running, you know, 200 miles in from the Texas border because we sat around and did nothing. Is, is Texas better off under those circumstances or not? I think it's a pretty easy question in Texas. Well, here's what people have to understand. The cartel's already in our backyard. They're, they're here. Where are they? Nobody really knows, but I can tell you from what I've been told from people that go in to rescue these kids that these children are being trafficked in million-dollar homes, in Airbnbs, in businesses that probably some of us frequent. We don't know if it's a church member we go to church with. It could be a neighbor. It could be anybody. So this is why it's getting so dangerous and so bad that this this is a road to no return if we don't get a grip on this really quick. No, and that's that's that really impacts schools too. It was you know there was a district in the valley where a principal um, was allegedly 
trafficking the young ladies in his school um, with some other people. So it's um, whatever whatever has happened to our our society and the norms of our society with people in leadership to protect the innocent of our innocence of our kids. We've decided that that's not important anymore. It doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, so kind of talked about the border. Kind of talked about a few possible or probable solutions. Uh, I think it would be fair to say we're all equally pessimistic that this is not going to happen until there's no other choice. And by then it may very well be too late. So aside from that, we live north of Dallas. We're in a very prosperous area. Uh, there's, what, eight, eight and a half million people in the Metroplex. Uh, we're bigger than New York City and probably close to half the size of New York State on top of it. And I got to ask myself at a certain point when we're under a direct invasion and the federal government has completely abdicated their responsibility and the state government isn't willing to do what's necessary to protect it, at what point do we realize we're really no longer in a free republic, that we're really, our country's over, and at some point it's, I I don't even know. I mean, you see all the memes pass around where they've got all these dystopian novels and a Venn diagram, and they say, you're here, and it's like the worst of all possible outcomes. I mean, how do we avoid this? I mean, yeah, we're in McKinney. It's relatively isolated. It's not only better than everywhere around us, you know, outside of Collin County. And, but that, that the problem or the bad issues are creeping closer and closer and closer. And it just seems to me that our entire leadership has stuck their head in the sand and is not paying attention to anything. So, Kyle, you're an activist. I'm an activist. Chad, you were an activist before you joined the other side and became an elected official. <laughs> so what is it that you see we the people can do because voting harder isn't working? Supporting the candidate that we think is best isn't necessarily going to get us what we need to have in the time that we need to have it. So short of direct independence, what are some things that we could be looking at doing? I guess maybe to harden Collin County. I guess that's a proper term. Well, well, go ahead. Number one, you know, we talk about this every day on social media, and people, the, the number one thing I tell people is we have to start having Texans that have courage. I'm a native Texan, and I never thought I would see Texas in the shape it's in. And the reason I fight is mainly for my grandkids. I've, I've had a good life, but I don't want to see this filter down to them to where they don't have a chance in hell to make it. I think we have to have more courage, but I also think we have to start holding our elected officials accountable. And that means calling nonstop, emailing nonstop, going to Austin to testify, get in their face, talk to them when they're, when they're not in session. We have to take the bull by the horns and make sure we're driving the agenda and lobbyists are not driving the agenda. And that's what's happening right now. Austin is so infiltrated with lobbyists that they control what our legislators do for us. It shouldn't be that way. We vote these people in. Once they get voted in and, and they invite you to the fancy dinners and, and put the 
good smell of cologne on and they slick their hair back and boy they're just the best person they can be until they go to Austin and then they don't care about you anymore and the sad, that's the sad fact they don't care about you anymore so unless we hold them accountable and get involved and understand the process how do we expect to hold them accountable we can't I think that's that's really good uh, what I would what I would recommend there's several different levels that you feel or that that you can impact and so the first thing let me address the feeling that nothing's happening in our favor um, remember that you and I as individuals have a very limited view many times we can't see if there are other per- people working behind the scene at the state level to make laws that are in favor of what we're trying to accomplish so we're we're kind of fighting a battle that we think is just us. Uh, and that's not the case. I can tell you within the last six months of going down to the state and working with the legislature and, and, and working with um, different people down there, the State Board of Education, I am so encouraged with what I see. And so for those of you that are, that are Christians, I would really recommend you to think about this. We are called to stand. And so have faith that maybe God is directing things behind the scenes that you don't see yet. So get to know your sheriff. Uh, talk to your sheriff about policies that are going on in your local um, in, in your local municipalities that you agree with or disagree with. Ask for what can be done. Start trying to work with your DA. If your DA won't work with you and won't enforce the law, then maybe you need to look at some different DAs. But we have to start attacking this thing at the ground level in our local cities, in our local school boards, and then taking that fight and taking that to our legislature. The more we talk to our representatives, the more we talk to our senators, the more we tell them what they want, the easier it is for them to do the right thing and the less excuses they have to do the wrong thing. And so, and then we have to hold them accountable through votes. And, um, you know, even if you just have $10 or $20 to give to a campaign, man, give it to a campaign that's going to be fighting for you. Um, <coughs> that's not a ton of money, but it buys signs, you know, 20 bucks will buy three signs. So <clears throat> that's, that's, that's very, very important. I want to say one more thing too, Stephen, that I forgot to mention that people need to get involved in the process and part of that process is all these bills that are coming out right now in the the Texas legislature half the people don't even read those bills and look look at the nuts and bolts of those bills that's another thing that we need to start doing is paying attention to what these these lawmakers are putting in their bills what's in it for us, what's in it for them what's in it for their counterparts that they made a deal with behind the back door this is a part of getting involved in reading and understanding what these legislators are passing in Austin. That's a big part of what we need to do. Okay. So I, I got something I want to put by you. Uh, and, and this an idea that's been bouncing around for a little while now. Um, and I've heard it. It's, it's not my original idea, just so we're clear. So the idea is, is that primaries, if you will, as they're run now, was something that was dreamed up during the progressive era. Before that, it was 
party politics, it was caucuses, it was conventions, and they would nominate the candidates, and then the candidates would duke it out to win. And so we, we've got a number of different issues at play because, one, they've basically disincentivized and made it near impossible for any third or fourth or fifth party to be involved in anything. Two, everything's bifurcated, right? So essentially, you're either an R or you're a D or you do nothing, which I don't think is best for the republic, but I might be the odd man out. So then the other thing is, when you create a primary, most primaries are driven primarily on three things. Money, money, and money. No, I'm just kidding. It's not always money. But it's, it's somewhat a popularity contest. But in large part, it's about money, money and messaging. So one of the ideas that I've been considering as, you know, what to put forth on the next platform, if you will, what if we went back to like a caucus or a convention model? So every Senate district or every House district would have a convention where they would nominate their chosen candidate and the activists who are the ones that are most vested and spend the most time have the largest say in this as opposed to, oh, I don't know, a whole lot of Democrats or a whole lot of people that aren't part of the party choosing our representative for us. Now, most of the districts are drawn in such a way that they're not even competitive. So in Texas, I think we might have 20 House seats that are competitive out of 150. So if you're the Republican or you're the Democrat and you got plenty of money, one, you're going to crush your primary, and two, the person running against you has little to no chance and are just there to look good. But if we were to go back to a convention or a caucus, now that person has to show up and convince maybe 100 or a couple hundred people why I'm the best person to represent you going forward and this is the job I've done. I mean, I realize it's not perfect and I realize there were problems, which is why they brought about the primary process. What do you think about that or maybe even a hybrid system? Do you have any thought to that? I mean, we're talking about trying to fix a broken system without throwing the whole thing out. So what do you think? Jed, I'm putting him on the spot, folks. Kind of giving me the stare like, this empty stare. Yeah. Oh, it's more of a stare. Like, why are you asking me? Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, you want to jump in? Give Chad a moment to catch his breath. No, I, I agree with it because I, I think it makes the candidates, vote any candidate, I think it makes them more accountable to the voters. And that's what we need. I mean, and it's, it's, it's kind of getting off track a little bit, but even your, your municipal races in Texas – they're supposed to be nonpartisan. Huh. We all know they're not nonpartisan. I would like to see them partisan. Mm-hmm. Because that holds everybody accountable to their party and hopefully to their platform. So, no, Stephen, I think that's a great idea. I, I actually agree with that. I think we need to go that, try to go that route. Yeah, I, I absolutely do agree with that because otherwise they try to hide. I mean, we've got people running right now that have been on the Kennedy School Board they claim to be Republicans, and none of their policies are Republican. None of the things that they talk about are conservative. None of the things they talk about are constitutional. And, and if they say they were, I was like, when? When you were kicking parents out of your school board meetings? <laughs> was that constitutional? Apparently not, because the TEA didn't agree with you in your determination. Um, and and I, would, I would furthermore say to, to the people, it's not, it's not just $10, $20 donations to your candidate. Um, you need to get to know them before they ever become a candidate. 
and be willing to block block walking. If if you're upset <coughs> that it seems that money controls the election, stop being upset at that and go walk blocks. It is the great equalizer. But one of the hardest things for candidates to do is find people to help them walk blocks. And you know, one of my friends has walked about uh, about five thousand, six thousand houses now. Um, you know more people helping with that and and i would just want to thank the people that have helped man if you volunteered to walk blocks out there and you've walked four five six blocks you're you are invaluable to the cause that you support um so i mean those two things are the big things even it's just ten dollars twenty dollars give it to the candidate you know if you keep sending it to a party you don't have control of where it goes very likely it's going to find itself into the hand of somebody who calls themselves a Republican. But then when you look at their voting record, you can't find a Republican anywhere. Okay. Well, I'm going to contradict you here, Mr. Green. Fine. The, the problem is that, for instance, in Collin County, the Republican Party actually gets less money than most of our candidates. And those candidates, most of us, well, everybody at this table would agree the majority of those candidates are, in fact, Republicans in name only. But the, the problem is, is they take in more money than the party. Now, I would suggest to you that part of the reason that is, is the party doesn't have the power or authority that it ought to wield in determining who represents the party. And one of the reasons that that is, is be, let's call it less effective stewardship in the past that has had long-term consequences. And there was a whole lot of go along to get along attitude which there's something to be said for that. I think we can all agree we can't win elections without the moderates. We need them to win the election. But they shouldn't get to drive every bit of the policy. And likewise, uh, I think it'd be fair to say that at this table, I, I'm, I'm the biggest extremist. But I also am smart enough to know that I shouldn't be driving the policy that the policy needs to be center right. The policy probably needs to be a little more right than center. But I'm gonna tell you, if I get 80%, I'm quite happy. The problem is we're only getting 60% or 65% in a good year. And how do we fix that? Well, the party has to be able to affect control over who gets to run with their name and their brand. So yes, the convention would help remedy some of that. Definitely some money and some authority being granted to them would affect some of that. But then the, the follow-on problem is, how do you keep your party at bay? How do you control your party? Well, that's what we do as precinct chairs, you know, and I am a precinct chair. And I, like I said, I realize I'm outside of the mean precinct chairs, but you know what? I get along with every precinct chair that I know and I work with them. And if we agree on an issue, great. And I, Honestly, I tell them all we're on the same team. I don't necessarily agree with you on this issue, but I'm not going to fight you on it. I mean, if you win, you win. If you lose, you lose. This is a big party. We're, we're on the same team. The problem is uh, we are always fighting amongst ourselves instead of focused against the real problem, which is everybody else. I mean, and I, and I say that half jokingly, but there are a whole lot of people that claim to be Republicans. We've talked about them. And, and they try and dictate policy to us. And then there are the Democrats that openly vote in our primaries and choose our candidates for us. That's a big problem, which could and should be fixed at the legislative level. 
But apart from that, if the county party would have the mm, courage to step forward and say, okay, going forward, we're going to have caucuses and we're going to have a convention to determine who's going to represent us in the, the municipal elections. They can't do anything with the primaries in place. But if they do a good job and they do a successful job, if you will, and getting good candidates and winning races, perhaps some people down in Austin will make note and pay attention and look at altering the landscape. I don't know if another way to fix it, but I'm not willing to just hang up my hat and say, oh, woe is me, all is lost. Uh, If Texas falls, where do we go? We have nowhere to go. Well, and I don't disagree with your analysis of Collin County. I think for the first time in about 20 years, we have good leadership at the top of Collin County that's active, um, you know, and they're and they're having to deal with um, what happened in the subsequent years to their to their leadership, um, and that's the people that we have elected um, previously that tend to be rhinos, rhinos. But especially if you're if you're giving money to the Republican Party, the National Republican Party, man, there's no telling when that money's going. And um, so I would just really encourage you guys know your local candidates. I mean, really know them, really vet them hard. Get to know them. Don't believe everything they say. If you if you want to get to know me, don't believe everything I say. Go go <laughs> go check. Go check. Yeah, ask the man. Ask me. For, yeah. <laughs> ask me for for some links. I mean, the last. Probably this last week, two weeks, I've probably sent 40, 50 links to people saying, here's my testimony. I didn't lie in here. Here's the Dallas Express article. See this here? And so, you know, you have a right as a citizen to do that, and you need to do that. People that are elected to offices, they're the same as you. Just because they have this elected position does not make them God. Don't put them on a throne. Don't put me on a throne. You sure about that? <laughs> We're not supposed to be there. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he's in my house. He gives me a lip, we just toss him out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but hey, listen, we, we acknowledge there's problems. We have probable solutions that we have to get buy-in on, right? And that goes to education of adults. Hey, there's value to being involved and one of the things that I hear is a complaint, and I, and I think even we would agree with this, is it's so divisive, it's so argumentative, it's so counterproductive, all the arguing. But if you don't argue about issues, if you don't discuss issues, you don't ever solve them or come to conclusions. Now, Kyle, I think I saw a post from you in the last couple of days where you're talking about you have to have a willingness to talk to people that disagree with you. You want to elaborate on that? Sure. And... I say this all the time, and I try to be very open about this. I talk to Democrats all the time. I talk to even Republicans that don't agree with me. But we we have to get away from the status quo that we've been in for so many years and have a little bit of an open mind to communicate with others. Uh, I, I talk to people every day that don't agree with me, but once we have a conversation, at least we can respectfully agree to disagree instead of with all the infighting that's going on even with their own party which has divided the party horribly especially here in Collin County so I think you have to be open to different ideas different suggestions 
you have to evaluate what you hear and you have to see how it fits with your values. For me, I'm a hardhead. I have very strong values and it's hard for me to to look beyond my values, but I do try to encourage people to talk to somebody that may not agree with you because you never know what you can learn from that. And I learn stuff from that all the time. Do I agree with it all the time? No, but I do learn from it. Chad, what do you got to say about that? I think you need to talk to everybody as long as they're willing to, to have an honest conversation with you. Um, you know, I'm going to say this because lately people have been unwilling to have honest conversations. <laughs> so they've doxed my family. Um, I'm receiving really nice little satanic temple cards in the mail, which I take as a, con- uh, is a veiled threat. Um, and so, you know, there's people that I have to stop talking to just because they're bringing my family into conversations that shouldn't be there. Um, <clears throat> You need to stay and understand your points. The purpose of arguing with somebody with their points is for you to see, is there any other way to look at the issue? Um, I don't think anybody has the right way 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. But if we can see some things from different perspectives, you know, maybe, maybe we can find solutions. Kind of like with the airport here in McKinney. <laughs> that's... That's based on principle. Why are you coming to the voter to ask the voter to put up this bond when you've got, or according to you, you've got three independent companies willing to pay for the for this themselves? You shouldn't be coming to the voter for that. And in, in that's, that's a basic principle where the city should not be involved in, um, in capital endeavors and pursuits. And I'll elaborate on something Chad just said. Uh, about family as much as I despise our mayor and some other elected officials family is always always off limits I am fair game Chad's fair game Stephen's fair game but when you start bringing families into it like children and spouses that is a big no no I don't care who you are alright so I guess before we wrap up, I want to just add this. You know, I, uh, I've i hosted um, and moderated a number of events. And my idea is always getting people to talk about things that they disagree about, that they can have an open, honest, adult conversation and try and, you know, not lose their stuff while they're having that conversation. I think we were successful a number of times doing that. And I think it's educational. But the thing is... For whatever reason, and maybe it's me, maybe I'm just too radical and they see my name and they don't want to come, uh, or maybe it's some of the hosting or the sponsors that we haven't had high turnout to any of those events. Well, I take that back. We did do one on the drug war and we did get a really good turnout. And here's here's the thing. If you're not willing to come and listen to somebody talk about something that maybe you don't agree with or maybe you're not sure about, how do you ever expect to expand your mind or to have a better understanding of the topic. I mean, I have a good number of libertarian friends and I have one that I would actually probably classify as an anarchist and he and I have lots of good conversations. And I, and I know I'm, I've joked about that, you know, I'm a recovering libertarian or whatever else. But honestly, 
in my heart, I agree with those guys the vast majority of the time. I just, you know, I, I understand their arguments well. I think they get a couple of things just terribly wrong. And for that reason, I can't, you know, completely commit to their cause. But you know what? Those are the guys I want on my team. They, they are very well-versed. They know their topics. They know their issues. And they are free and willing to have a discussion with anybody at any time about those topics. Your average Republican, they run the other way. Your average Democrat, they run the other way. You might find a Green Party member that's more willing to talk about something than that. And that's just sad. I mean, I grew up in the generation where you were told, well, we don't talk about uh, religion or politics. And well, if you don't talk about the two most important things in your life, and, and just for clarification, I'm not saying politics itself is important. It's just that's the way your world that you live in works. And if you're not willing and capable to talk about that or your religion, you're chopping out a large part of your life. What do you think about that? I agree. Yeah, I, I think that's agree. absolutely true. These guys are too easy. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, I, I can't really push back on that because really, um, you know, the family dinners and stuff like that. How are you supposed to teach your kids about politics? You have to have adult conversations at the table covering these topics, laying out principles, why you don't agree with this, why you agree with that. Um, and, and that's part of the education that we're supposed to be having in our school. Plus, it helps the speaker to figure out, really, does he really believe that? Does he need to rethink that thing? Um, conversations are always good about these topics. Well, and you hit on you hit on events and, and low turnout. And being in Collin County, we're supposedly in one of the reddest counties in Texas. But if we base it off what we're seeing in the field and at these events, I, you know, the excuses I get or the reasons I get for people not showing up just sometimes blow my mind. It's like you have activists as myself out here trying to protect my grandchildren and your children, I sacrifice to go to several events a week, although I'm tired and I'm and I'm frustrated and I don't feel like doing it. How do we ever expect to defend our cities and our counties if we don't show up and get activated and get educated about what's going on and who we're electing? You know, people talk about D.C. all the time, and I tell them, I don't give a crap about D.C. I want to fix the county I live in. And until I do that, there's no way in heck I can fix D.C. So local involvement is very, very important, not only from a legislative standpoint, but more importantly from a local government standpoint. Because your local government, your school board, your council, and your commissioner's court, that's where the indoctrination stuff starts that we fight against every day. And if we can't control that, we're not going to save this county. We're not going to save this state. That reminds me. So for, for those of you listening, you know, we had our own summer of love here in McKinney back in 2020. And I think all three of us were down on the downtown square at one time or another over that summer. And I don't know about you guys. I, I know Chad was with me for a little bit. But I had some very interesting conversations with people down there. Now, some of them were uh, kind of off the wall. Some of them were definitely aggressive, but some of them were legitimate, you know, back and forth, question, answer, discussions. I mean, it's it's funny to have a, a young person try and show me up on, you know, some historical narrative that I'm actually quite versed in. But it's, it's you know, give and take, 
and it was treating each other with respect. And, you know, we really didn't have any violence. We didn't have anybody crossing a line that couldn't be recovered. And I'm grateful for that. And, and I don't think it had anything to do with the fact that uh, the police had gone home for the evening. I had to do with the fact with the people that were there pushing back were careful on how they did it. And they were respectful to the people that were upset. And I'm not going to question the validity of their complaint because if you really truly were that upset about something that was placed in uh, the square a hundred years ago, well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to talk you off of that. But on the flip side, if you've gotten to air your grievance and go home in peaceful manner, I think you've really accomplished what your mission was. And I just, I felt like we were abandoned by the leadership of our city during that. And they didn't want to run the risk of looking bad. And and I've heard all sorts of stories about how those people ended up there and they were encouraged and this and that and the other thing. You know what? I don't know. And I'm not going to cast dispersions or lay out accusations. But again, it was handled. And we, we had some interesting conversations. We had some tense moments. But at the end of the day, everybody went home safe and sound. And there were heated discussions. And I really wish that we would have more of those discussions in a public venue. I mean, there's tons of issues that play out right here in McKinney, Texas, that are far bigger than a piece of granite that's on a pedestal downtown. But we don't talk about those because we're, I don't know, we're afraid. What what do you guys think? What's the reason why they won't do it? I don't think they want to, uh, if we were talking about city leaders, I don't think they want a different opinion. I mean, you know, we've all seen the council meetings. We've seen the board meetings. And well, Kyle, let's just kind of broaden it out to just the people in general. I, we would acknowledge that the leadership is lacking, but there's a whole lot of people that are leaders in their own right in our community. Sure. Where are they? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really mind-boggling to me. I don't know if it's a... I don't care attitude. I don't know if it's a lack of interest. I don't know if they're afraid to get in a conversation of, of what they might hear. I don't know if they don't want a confrontation that they think they're going to get. I, I think there's a lot of different variables out there that drive this, but I always bring it back home to myself that I, I'm a man that likes to stick by my values and, and plan on doing that. And I think until people see the real big umbrella of what's happening to our state overall, I don't think they're going to get it until they really see how how in peril Texas is right now and what we need to do to get that back. I, I think the thing that concerns me the most in McKinney is the ability of the other side to keep people from knowing what's happening. Um, you know, it used to be that there used to be a newspaper in McKinney that was read. And that's really not the case anymore. It used to be that we had media. We really don't have that. We've got Facebook pages that really, really city leadership seems to control those and block everybody that's going to say anything negative or that they consider as negative. And, and that's the thing that's concerning me. Although we have a lot of leaders here, you know, I was just talking to a gentleman who was a leader today and he was unaware of all these things he goes how did i not know all these things and i said well here's some pictures take a look at this and so you've got to prove those things out um i think i think the 
you know, information being spread to the leaders that are here is very, very important. And we haven't figured out how to do that well. Yeah, so I, I have an episode in the can. I don't remember if it was playing today or tomorrow, where I talked about that very thing, right? In, in years past, we had local media. Or, or you had a local radio program, if not the whole station. You know, I think back to uh, when I first got here, there was at least two or three decent local hosts that would talk about local issues. Probably not for their whole show, but a segment or two, they'd talk about what something was going on. And, you know, back when I moved here, there was... Maybe a half a million people of all of Collin County, maybe, probably closer to 400,000. And Dallas was huge and everything was based in Dallas. But now we've got over a million people in Collin County, yet we don't have a radio station that caters to that. We don't have any talk programs that, uh, you know, cater to that. I mean, the closest thing we had, I guess, was John David Wells, who was not even on the radio anymore. And then, of course, your friend uh, JP and Kathy, they had their local show for a little while, which coincidentally was on John David Wells' uh, channel, if you will. Uh, I think they're still doing their podcast in the morning, right? You know, But that's the closest thing we've got. And I don't know that media or a big radio station is the answer anymore, but I think that we have platforms and we can utilize them. We just have to be smart about doing them and we have to be uh, aggressive in promoting it, right? And Chad and I have talked about this in the past that my biggest weakness is I don't like to talk about myself or promote myself. So, I mean, that you know, maybe that's why, maybe that's where I'm at, where I'm at. But, you know, the idea is that we need to work together. We need to get the word out. We need to be willing to have discussions, some of them uncomfortable, and talk about what's going on. And I, I mentioned, again, in the same uh, program I've got in the can that I'm going to look forward to bringing up a news item on pretty much every show and then comment on it, you know, like the old Paul, Paul Harvey news, right? And do that for like the first segment of my program and then go on and do my riff because honestly, if you're just going to see what you see on social media, which is programmed to feed you more of what you look at, so you never ever see anything that deviates from what you think or what you or want to know about because that's the way it's set up. And I, we just got to get out of our social circles, out of our echo chamber, and be willing to embrace that, hey, you know the guy down the street with me or from me? He's got somebody else's yard sign or he feels a different way or he goes to a different church. But it doesn't mean we can't, you know, grill a hot dog or hamburger out in the uh, yard and have a adult beverage and talk about something, whatever. And you can't be afraid to talk about the two things that we were forbidden from speaking of when I was a child. So now you guys are both native Texans. I'm a volunteer, um, though not from Tennessee, but, but I came here to reinforce what's going on. What do you think our odds are of being successful? Scale of one to 10, gentlemen. Hmm. Well, six months ago, I just, I just said, you know, we're probably around five or below five. Right now, with what I know now, today, and the things I've seen operate at the state level, I think we're at around an eight. Really? What do you think, Kyle? I'm going to stay with the six. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm glad that at least Chad's confident. I, I would probably say maybe a seven if I was going to split the difference between you two. It just I see there's a whole lot of things that aren't being addressed, and we're spending a lot of time dealing with things that are less than consequential. Okay, so one last thing I want to bounce off you. 
So I'm sure you guys are aware how there's always a cause du jour, whether it's during an election cycle or whether it's during a down cycle or whether it's just, in other words, it's the constant distraction. Okay. So if you were to pick the one thing that's, we'll call it much ado about nothing going on in, we'll make it Collin County just because it's easier. And quite frankly, I don't want to talk about our friend anymore. But the one thing that's, you know, more, uh, that isn't really the problem that they would make it out to be. If you were to name one thing, uh, what would you say it is? Chad, you want to start or you want to go last? The, I'll go last. Prob- okay. okay. So can you say that again? The okay. Problem- so the media, right, or the zeitgeist is, is Whatever this issue is, is the biggest issue that's concerning us. We should all be very, very concerned about it. Whatever it is, just pick pick whatever you think it is. And in reality, it's really a small potato issue. Cal, do you have one? Mm. And you're talking about from a media standpoint? Well, just like the cultural zeitgeist. And I, I think the media plays well with that. So I've caught you off on this. So I'll go first. So maybe you'll get an idea where I was trying to go with this. So for like me personally, uh, one of the things that I think is overblown, in other words, it's less of a problem than it is, is the issue of the homelessness, at least in Collin County. I don't even dream of what it's like right now over on the border. But it was a huge, huge problem two, three years ago when certain people were running for office. As soon as that election was over, it disappeared. And then it becomes a huge problem or a more important problem until that election cycle is over and then it disappears. So my opinion is that's that's the cause du jour that is actually less of a problem than they would have us believe. So that's, that's where I was going with that. And that's just an example. But I, I'll take that as my uh, choice. Man, you stumped me here. <laughs> I'm taking everything I think is wrong. Well, that's the easy thing. We can point out what we think is wrong all the time. Uh, I I would have said the 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 pay for the uh, the pay and and hiring of of um, a fireman and police, but I don't think that they're very very important. <laughs> But everything else that's going on just seems like it's more critical, But and yet I wouldn't say that it is. I, I don't even know. How. I would say probably the less critical thing is a $200 million dollar bond for a freaking airport. I think that's less critical. <laughs> I don't even okay. know why the and heck we're Just, just because that. you're an elected official and we want to be very careful you didn't smear our brothers in the blue and red. No, so I didn't. you're not saying that you think the fact that they may be getting underpaid is... Is uh, well, and a under, small issue. I think it's, understaffed is is the issue. I mean, the question is, are are we going to get hurt by this today, or is it going to take five years for us to be hurt by it when all these apartments get full? Um, and that's, I, I just, I don't, I see our budget ballooning here in McKinney, and and. Um, but you would say, in fairness, that that's actually a big problem. It's just maybe not a big problem right this moment. I would say, yeah, I would say it's, uh, that's the problem as a school uh, board person. I'm looking at the kids, trying to protect the kids, and that's priority for me over just about anything. But 
you know, <laughs> trying to weigh that against our police. And, you know, if, if you don't know, our sheriff's department is trying to p- patrol the lake without the funding to do it. So, you know, and they need to bring on new um, sheriff's department personnel to deal with that stuff. Um, it's, at some point, these things that we're calling little issues really aren't little issues at all. And it's going to reach up and bite us. Um, and the only reason why I put it in those terms is because I think protecting the kids is the biggest issue we have. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not sure if this fits with what you're asking, but <clears throat> I see a lot of media nowadays that not only trying to pit people against others, but they always, they, you know, just like I think you brought up the border a while ago, I don't think the media thinks the border is that big of a deal. Okay. I do. So that's kind of like the reverse. They're downplaying something that actually is a big issue. Right. Because I think the, and if you've been to that border like I have, you know that border is a huge, huge issue. I think they're playing it that everything that needs to be happening is happening and it's not that bad. Because they don't talk about the buses going all over except when it goes to New York or D.C. or somewhere. But I think that's what I would say as a border. Okay. So we'll take that as the inverse, but we'll, we'll accept yeah. that for purpose. Guys, I sprung these on these guys. They, they've been both very good sports. Nothing was rehearsed, and they had very little warning on anything. So, okay, final question. We're going to go back, revisit the school thing one more I've time. got something to answer that question with now. Uh, okay. Throckmorton Street being renamed. Okay. Oh, the perfect stupid thing for our city to deal with. <laughs> Is Our that, first governor. Let's change Throckmorton Street. Is, is that even on the agenda anymore? I, I hope not. Oh, <laughs> okay, so we were, we talked about government schools early on. That was the first subject, and I, I neglected to ask. You both worked for the schools in one way or the other for some time. I have not. So one of the things that I always hear about. Is this great concern about touching their money because people might get to keep some of their money to send their kid to a private school or a homeschool parent might get to keep some of that money or um, or even a charter school. Now, it is my understanding, and maybe you can correct me before I finish the question, that the school district actually still gets a certain cut of that money no matter what. They get more money if the student's actually in the school, but they still get a certain percentage of it. Is that true? Yeah, because they're still getting taxes from it, but it's not it's not the same amount as butts and seats. Would you say they get sixty percent? You know, I haven't even looked at that figure. But but they uh, so here's why I haven't looked at that. Okay, because in McKinney we're at the top of our scale, which means. It doesn't matter how many houses we build anymore. <laughs> you know, we are topped out on how much the state lets us keep in our own taxes. So maybe that's we're, why they're building all the apartments. <laughs> we're at the top, okay? We're at the top. And, um, you know, school choice. Well, that wasn't my question yet. Well, you're getting there. <laughs> so let me just deal with that, okay? All right, you're cheating, but okay, go ahead. Yeah, you know... <clears throat> How can you be against something when you haven't actually read the bill yet, right? Um, so school choice 
comes in a lot of different forms. And if the state is going to say, okay, you can have your money if you want to go to a private school and you take a voucher with you and what of that. I mean, if you know what homeschool parents and what private school parents are going to do, they don't want any part of that. Because the private school doesn't want the state coming in and telling the private school what to do. And the homeschool parent sure doesn't want the state to come in and telling the homeschool parent what to do. Okay? So anything that really has that is not going to pass. But for McKinney, school choice could be a really good deal if it was school choice between different public schools. Right now we've got a decreasing student population in McKinney. I think part of that is because our, our scores aren't great. <coughs> I think the other part of it is housing. Um, but if we come up with a great vision, we develop incredible strong programs, I think we could gain 2,000, 3,000 kids in just the blink of an eye if we did it right. The problem is, as a school board and as an administration, we're too scared to look at the advantage of doing that and outperforming our neighbors, which just I just don't understand. It just just makes my mind almost just want to blow up. <laughs> so there we go. Well, and I think we all have to face the reality that school choice really doesn't mean school choice because unless you untie all the money that's tied to school choice, you can do whatever you want to with your child right now. Until legislative changes that, until the federal money gets out of it, that money's going to follow that kid, but you're still going to have ties to the federal government. So I think that's the argument on the school choice side. Should parents have a right to do that? Yeah, they should. But until... Like Senator Huffman says, until you get rid of property taxes, that ain't happening. It's just not going to happen. Okay. So, so my question where I was going to go with this is, do you think that a school district, and we're going to say a mid to high level performing school district, has anything significant to fear by any version of school choice long term? I would say if they're fearful of it, they're limiting their view instead of looking at a reality and changing their reality. What, what do you think, Kyle? I think their risk right now is where, not necessarily the school choice issue, I think the, the fear they have right now is, you know, I have people come after me every day and say, well, you just want to get rid of public school. I never once said I want to get rid of public school. I want them to start educating again. I think the big fear the schools have right now is a lot of them are running people out because of the direction they're taking on education. And I don't want to make anybody mad here, but I believe the more woke a school goes, the more issues they're having with teachers, not only teachers leaving, but students leaving. Yeah. Okay. So I, I lied. That wasn't the last question. I, it, it, it deserves a follow-up, guys. I'm sorry. Okay. We, our answers were so good. It gets another one. <laughs> the answers were good. But really what I'm driving at here is if you, if you are an American, gentlemen, scare quotes up, right? You're an American. You're a Texan. Uh, you believe in free market. And 
you believe that government schools or public funded schools are the best solution for the majority of the students. I don't understand why you're concerned about competition. I mean, if you're really offering a class A product or even a class B product, you're going to have advantages that no private school can possibly have. Certainly, there's things that you can do that you can never do with homeschooling. So, I mean, worst case scenario, you lose, let's say, 20% of your student population. You have even more money to spend on the kids that are left behind and do things that nobody else could do. So I don't understand well, what's the concern. That's not actually true. We don't have even more money. We actually have less. Yeah, less we have less money. Because the student goes somewhere else, that means their butt in the seat is not happening. That's $6,500 less right off the top. Okay? And so if you've had a district that has really built out a lot of, my friend used to used to say this, Taj Mahal schools, um, <laughs> you know, spent a lot of money on their schools and things like that, and you have a decreasing population. At some point, those lines in the budget are going to intersect, and you're in bad you're in bad situation. So um, they don't want to lose the students. Yeah. Okay, but, <coughs> but so, they don't. They, they they're not interested in not being woke, so they'll put up with losing the students, and they'll keep saying, "Oh, th- this isn't the reason why we're losing students." That's that's the problem that we have. It's very narrowed. Not wide open thinking. Okay. But you guys both support government school, public school, whatever you want to call it. And my understanding, and you've slapped me on the hand, I've got it wrong. But if you're getting, say, $8,000 per student per year, and you lose a certain percentage of those students, and you only lose $6,500, you're still keeping $1,500 for somebody that's not even there. How is that not a net gain? You still have the overhead that you had already built for that student to be have their butt in a chair. Okay, so you have you let go two administrators and get most of that money back. Oh no no no! What no. district you know they've ever done that? Ever let's go. And you'll notice I said administrators, not teachers, because we'll both admit, or actually I think all three of us would admit, if anything, we're short teachers, but we have oodles of administrators, so. I Again, I, I'm just trying to look at this at the macro scale because I'm not involved in this. This isn't really my big issue in my life, but I, I don't understand the fear. And what basically it's boiling down to is it's, they're going to lose too much money per student if the student leaves. But if they were, again, in some scheme well, of school choice, if they let you keep half the money. Would well, you? And here's a great example of this, right? So let's use present-day charter schools, okay? Okay. Why are they so scared of charter schools? And here's the reason why. is because the biggest factor in high-performing students in a school district is parents that are active in their education. So if a parent perceives that the charter school is better than the public school, where are they going? And they're an active parent? They're taking their kid to that charter school, right? Sure. That's the first thing they're doing. Now, what happens to your demographics into the public school is you have uh, you have a lower performance. I'm sorry, you're not allowed to talk about that? 
that, that is forbidden. That's forbidden. Forbidden. <laughs> now, now, Kyle and I can talk about that, but you, as an elected official, can't talk about that. Okay, you get yourself in trouble. Well, no, no. You have a lower, you have a lower performing population that you begin to pull from, and so you know, I've the which, administration which used to ask get, me, which means they get more money per student. Correct. An average of about twelve five. Okay. So, no, which means the state could come over and take it, take over the district. So, well, again, now I've opened a can of worms. Sorry, guys. Because that's <laughs> happened in Houston and that's happened in Austin. So, so. so theoretically, just and we're going to play this out, if you will. So, the school district's concerned that if they were to lose, say, 10% of their high-performing students, now their test scores and various other things will degrade in such a case that the state will start to pay better attention to what's going on, which then means that a net loss on the money affects how much money they can throw at a problem that they're not even necessarily fixing, but they can salve over it. And then because they haven't changed to face the competition of other schools, and they're still doing the same thing they did 30 or 40 years ago, right? Um, they're smart enough to know in their own perverse way that we can't compete with these other schools under our current paradigm. So therefore, the only thing we can do is enforce our monopoly. Is that what this boils down to? Yeah, I might have been saying something along those lines. Okay. (laughs) There you go. School choice is happening already in the state of Texas. Right. There's school districts in the Valley that have school choice. There's school districts in El Paso that have school choice. And actually, I mean, uh, you can talk to the superintendent of Yisleta. He talks about how you know, when he came back into the district, they they did a um, uh, a training with Disney on what it means to have good customer service. And so instead of losing, I think they were losing 115, 120 kids a year, they began gaining that amount of kids a year the better they treated the parents in the district. I'm not sure we want to use Disney as an example. Being well, that, that was a what, long time ago. So. You know what they know, we, or we know what they do with children. I mean, now, right? <laughs> we know what they do yeah, now. But, and here's a, here's a brain buster question. <laughs> yeah. What does school choice really mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're empowering the parents to do something that they think is best for their child? That's what they're doing now. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean,. Some charter school, some home school, some public school. So, really, I think what parents want is they want to untie the federal dollars that are tied to their kids and them in public school and just say, give me all that money, I'll go do what I want. That's never going to happen. I agree. That's never going to happen. Yeah, and Chad, you mentioned earlier about the uh, voucher situation. And I... And I will tell you, when I was representing SD8 at the convention, I was definitely the odd man out because I oppose vouchers. I think that's a bad idea. And I think that if you think you're going to get money back from the government and they're not going to eventually uh, not just put strings on it, but put chains on it, you're foolish. I mean, my, the, the best example or the best arguments that I've heard laid out were by Chris Ann Hall. And ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know who Chris Ann Hall is, you're missing out. You need to go check her out online. She does all these lessons on the Constitution, and she lays it out clearly that if the government's paying for something, they get to call the shots. Correct. So if you're taking your money back, even though it's technically your money that they took from you at point of a gun, the threat of violence, they think it's theirs. They're going to act like it's theirs. And even though they let you have some of it back, they're going to put restrictions on how you can spend that. And, you know, so 
Most charter schools don't have a problem with that because, hey, they're already technically part of the system, just not fully in. But if you're a private Christian school and you're agreeing to take vouchers, you're not going to be a private Christian school in five years or ten years. And if you're a homeschooler and you think that, hey, I'm going to get that extra $5,000 in my pocket and that you're going to actually get to control what you're teaching your children, that, that's not going to play out so well. Not happening. Nope. So, so, all right. I, I went over, guys. I'm sorry. Um, do you have any closing comments or anything you want to end it with? If you have municipal elections in your city or your county, get out and vote and vote responsibly. I would agree with all of that. Um, we've got to have a change in leadership in McKinney, and it is, in fact, all of our responsibility to change that. So get out and vote. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you uh, heard it. Uh, we've, we've got three guys on the table that just are loved and adored by the leadership of our city. <laughs> and we're here to tell you that if you're not happy with the way things are, you have an opportunity to go say something about it right now. And in case we aren't clear enough, you know, you've got the not handpicked choice of the leadership of McKinney in Tom Meredith. You have three or four individuals running for school board that would be light years better than the current representatives. And of course, there is uh, Proposition A, where they're going to take $200 million of your money and spend it on something that you may not even want. And even if you did want it, we could potentially get a private company to do it, but they're not interested in doing that because they can take your money instead. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for your time, and we will see you on the other side. Good night. Well, I hope you enjoyed our uh, special program here. And, uh, you know, one of the things we hadn't considered when we did the recording is not only is this a free-for-all Friday, it is, in fact, Cinco de Mayo. Uh, so I have some a special cut of music I'm going to be popping on at the end. Uh, however, it will not correspond with Cinco de Mayo. And for those of you out there that celebrate, please do so, uh, but don't be foolish. And until then, I will see you on the other side. Never before.